Hey guys, thank you for tuning in to the Risen Nation Church podcast. I pray that this message today impact your life and above all, draw you into a deeper encounter with Jesus. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 4. And I have sort of a prophetic word today, something that the Lord put on my heart. And I'm... I don't think we're going to be, it's going to be long, but we never know with the, with the Holy Spirit. But uh, there really isn't a lot. We want, I want to make one point, and then we're going to worship and praise and magnify God again before we leave. Amen? Amen. So <clears throat> I also want to thank the Lord for my beautiful, amazing wife for being here. She's my rock. I'd be so confused all the time without her and forget all of my appointments and be hungry. And I don't really like leftovers. And so she makes me amazing meals. So I would also be very hungry. So I look like this because of my wife. <clears throat> so if you're like, Pastor Costi's getting kind of chubby, blame her. All right. <laughs> getting, I've already been there. All right. First Samuel chapter four. When I read this, um, <clears throat> when I turned to this chapter, I was actually thinking I was in 2 Samuel, okay? So I just want to kind of show you how God works in, with me sometimes. I was actually thinking I was in 2 Samuel, and I was trying to find a particular passage, and I started reading 1 Samuel chapter 4, quickly realized I'm in the wrong, um, I'm in the wrong chapter, and immediately, as I went to go to 2 Samuel, the Lord spoke to me and he said, stay here, read it. And so I'm going to read it to you, and I'm going to read a word he gave me. And um, <clears throat> this is not necessarily for our house, specifically only, even though it could apply, but it is for the church, I believe, at large. And this is where... Uh, this is where we need to grow as the body of Christ. Amen? And I believe this is what God is raising up. And so it's going to seem negative, but it's going to get better. Don't worry. Trust me. But this is where we need to grow from and come into being a people that are in this world, but not of it. And being those repairers of the breach that like Isaiah 58 says, these repairers of the breach, these that stand in the gap, these Zadok priesthood that minister to the Lord and stand in the place of those that don't. Okay, so I want you to have this, pers this perspective, but um, as I'm reading this word from the Lord, but let me read part of this chapter real quick. First Samuel chapter four, we're gonna start in verse one. It says, now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines, that word Philistines means to roll around in the dust. It speaks of um, common humanity. It actually means to wallow in self. It means to roll around in yourself. Wallowing is what pigs do in the mud. They roll around in the mud. That's what the word Philistine means. It means to roll around in the flesh, to roll around in the dust. So Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped beside Ebenezer. And the Philistines encamped in Aphek. Then the Philistines put together an, 
a battle array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. And so this is kind of, this is after um, we hear about Samuel and the Lord speaking to him. And this is right before the, in the same chapter, we'll read about the death of Eli. This is right before Israel has its first prophet in Samuel. And so this is like this in-between place. Someone say in-between. This is this in-between place. And verse three, and when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, why has the Lord defeated us this day or defeated us today before the Philistines? So immediately complaining and blaming God. Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. So they're thinking like, man, we're, we're about to just kill, annihilate these Philistines. Now, when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what does the, shout, the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid and they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us, who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues. So the Philistines knew what was going on. With all the plagues in the wilderness, be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servant of the Hebrews and they have been, as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated and every man fled to his tent there was a great slaughter, and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Also, the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were, had died. And then we keep reading, and we hear about Eli hears that his sons are, that the ark has been stolen, and that his sons have died. And it doesn't say that he fell, remember, he fell backwards, broke his neck, and died, but it doesn't say that he, um, he didn't lament or fall backwards from his sons getting killed. He fell backwards because the ark had been captured. And so he dies and he was a heavy man, old, and he judged Israel for 40 years. But I want to highlight verse three and four when it says, the people started out with a blaming God and a complaint. And it says, let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us. And when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of the enemies. So these Israelites were not pursuing God, but only what the presence could do for them. And I immediately, when I read this, and I was about to turn to 2 Samuel, and the Lord stopped me, and he started yelling. And he said, I am judging the priesthood. I am judging the Eli spirit. Those who use the Ark of the Covenant, those that use the glory and presence of Yahweh to advance their agenda and build their ministry, those that use my glory for personal advancement and use my presence 
to gain position. I am removing the mixture from the priesthood. Those who cry out to me for what they can get from me, but their heart is far from me, Matthew 15, 8. I am judging the complaining spirit in the priesthood and the church at large. In verse 3, you see that they're complaining. I am judging the dim-eyed, slow, fat, lukewarm, gluttonous priesthood which produces offspring that are irreverent, dishonoring, and familiar towards me. Those that don't make a difference between the holy and the unholy. I'm having trouble getting this out. I'm going to read that one again because this is what happens when a generation is slow, lukewarm, and gluttonous. They produce offspring that are irreverent, dishonoring, familiar towards me. And those that don't make a difference, a distinguishing difference between the holy and the unholy. I am judging those who have all the gifts and can make people stand to their feet and make rooms feel electric by their charisma, but they lack the anointing of God, which only comes from being pressed and crushed. Therefore, they lack the power of God and have become like the shepherds that Ezekiel prophesied about in chapter 34. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost. And I am against the shepherds, in verse 10, and will require my flock at their hand. Their names shall be called Ichabod, which was the son of Phineas. After he died, his, his wife birthed a son that they named Ichabod because my glory has departed from them. And he is purifying. Someone say purifying. He is purifying the priesthood. And I believe that God has called this house to be a pure priesthood. Somebody say amen. God has called this house to walk First Chronicles 15 says they did not walk in proper order. And we are going to learn today how we walk in proper order. Because if we are going to be the apostolic house that we have been called to be, we have to walk in proper order. And there are ways, there are American ways, there are Western ways that we have mixed into the word of God. And God is not American. God is not Western. God is not trendy. God is not relevant. God is God. And we use terms in church like relevant to get people in the door. But let me tell you about my Jesus. He came and flipped tables upside down. He wasn't very relevant. He came to bring the kingdom of God to earth. And he shook everything that was against the kingdom of God. And he ripped up tradition and religion. And that's what the priesthood is to do and not sink in to what the world tells us and what religion tells us and what our family and friends tell us, how we should act and move God's presence. God says there is a proper order. And he hasn't changed from the beginning. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed. And so we need to find out what God says. We need to find out what the order of God says and not the order of, listen, we could say we're non-denominational, but that's almost turned into a denomination. We could say we're Pentecostal, but I don't want to know what the Pentecostals say. I don't want to know what the non-denominationalists say. I don't know. I don't want to know what the Baptists say. I want to know what the word says. And that's where the priesthood of God that is going to fill the earth, the Levites, back to his word. Ezekiel 44, they were to teach the people. It wasn't some secret code. 
here, this is what's holy and this is what's unholy. We need to teach the people the difference between the holy and the unholy. Amen? All right, so real quick, just some background. And so we see the progression of the, the, the progression and the transferring of the ark. The Eli priesthood loses the ark in 1 Samuel 4. Just write these down and study it later. The Philistines return the ark. Remember the Philistines, the, they had plagues break out among them. They return the ark with trembling and fear because God just started plaguing them because his glory was in the wrong place. And they return the ark to Beth Shemeth in 1 Samuel 6. The ark is then moved in the next chapter to the house of Abinadab. Someone say Abinadab. And we're going to hear about him in a, in a minute. For 20 years, we see the ark is in this man's house. And during Saul's reign, we see Saul be raised up because the, the people wanted a king. And he really only inquired. There's only like one time where he inquired of the ark of the covenant. And it was the same thing here in 1 Samuel 4, where it was really, he just was in a tough spot and needed God to come and save him. So he really, he didn't have a heart for God. He didn't have a heart for God's presence and God's glory. It was only what he could get out of it. But then here comes this king named David. I love David. In 1 Chronicles 13.3, he says, and let us bring the ark of our God back to us, for we have not inquired at it since the days of Saul. This is the man who penned the words, search me, O God, examine me, O God, know my heart, try me, and that word is test me, put me on trial, prove me, and know my anxieties or my divided opinion and see if there's any wicked way in me. Does anyone else pray the same prayer and lead me in the way everlasting? This is the prayer of those that are after God's own heart. This is the perspective, the posture after those that are after God's own heart. 1 Samuel 13, 14 says, I am raising up a man that is after my own heart. I love the Young's literal translation of this verse. It says, Jehovah hath sought a man for himself according, someone say according, according to his own heart. So not only was David after God's heart in terms of pursuing God, but he was according to God's heart, meaning David had God's heart. Meaning David thought with God's heart. David functioned with God's heart. So when we see the life of David as a type and shadow of Jesus, we see the, a, a type of Jesus. We see Jesus's character and God's character in a man, David. Because the young says it was according. Someone say according. As, uh, as if according to a pattern of God's heart. So not only did David pursue God's heart. Do you guys get that? Not only did David pursue God's heart, but he was after God's heart in the resemblance of God's heart. He had God's heart. So when we read about David, we really read about the perspective and the heart of God towards his people. So the heart of David was always, I will not slumber or let, let my eyes sleep until I find a dwelling place for the Lord until I build a house for him. And Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is still crying the same thing. Are you guys awake this morning? I need you to lean forward in the spirit, okay? All right, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6.
when you're all there, say amen. Verse 1. So I find it interesting that, and maybe one of these Wednesday nights we'll break it down a little bit and get into uh, the, the number of this, but 30,000 die that day, um, the Israelites, when the Philistines took them over in 1 Samuel 4. But now David gathers 30,000 choice men of Israel. Verse 1. And he gathered the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Bel Judah to bring up the ark of God, whose name is called by the name, whose name is called by the name, big N, the Lord of hosts. Someone say the Lord of hosts. So this is a company of sons. This is a body of people. God is doing, this is everyone has called up this mountain. Amen the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim. So David's going to retrieve the ark. And so they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, who, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. Now I know Pastor William has taught on this a bunch, and we, we know this story well in this house, but I want us to just see a couple of points and then we're going to pray and worship some more. Amen? Amen? And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all the kinds of instruments of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums, and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand. So the son of Abinadab, he put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the ark stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error. And he died there by the ark of God, and David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. I guess so. I would be terrified. And he said, how can the ark of God come to me? So David's like, I don't want it. It just killed Uzzah. And so David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, but David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And I could just imagine Obed-Edom's face like, just killed this guy about a mile that way. We're just going to put it in your house for a little. <laughs> See ya. And the ark the, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom in all his household. Now it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those that were bearing, someone say bear, when those that were bearing the ark of, of the Lord had had gone six paces, the number of man that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod, acting as, an, as a priest. And so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. So today we're going to bring up the ark of God with a shouting and the sound of a trumpet. We're going to praise today. So let's break this down a little bit. Uzzah is the word which means strength. Someone say strength. It, it speaks of a very capable, strong person. But Uzzah was the son 
of this man named Abinadab, which means father of generosity or father of prosperity. Just write it down. So Uzzah means strength. Uzzah was familiar with the ark. It had been in his family for 20 years. And so we, we could guess and say that Uzzah was raised or most of his life with the ark in his house, 1 Samuel 7. And Uzzah had a familiar spirit with God's presence. It was 20 years in his father's house and he thought he was owed something. He thought he could help God by his experience and his strength. The natural response in times of transition and uncertainty is to rely on our own strength, our own experience, and our own ability. Uzzah was familiar. He thought he could do it. I know I, this has been in my house. I'm familiar with it. I've seen it for 20 years. I'm familiar with this thing. I think I can help God out. Abinadab means the father of generosity or prosperity. So it's speaking of a wealthy man because it says his house, which was on a hill, this, this wealthy, uh, prosperous, generous man. Are we all together? And then he calls this place Perez Uzzah, which means breach of strength. Someone say breach, like a breaking of strength. I believe in this season that God is breaking our strength. God is breaking our ability to do things on our own. And I am witnessing this in my own life. God is breaking that which we are familiar with and thinking that we could manipulate, we could plan enough by our experience and by the years that we could manipulate God's presence and hold up this thing by our works and by our strength. God is breaking that. God is breaking the strength of your life thinking that you manage you. He's breaking the strength of your life thinking that you manage him. And sometimes our strength can even look like a word that we had from the Lord 20 years ago. And God hasn't changed, and God hasn't moved, and we're still sticking on that word, which that word, if we don't move on and increase, go from glory to glory, and righteousness is revealed from faith to faith, we can get stuck on that word. And that word can become our strength, and God is doing something totally, totally new. He's breaking our strength. He's breaking what we've known. Uzzah only knew the ark. It was in his house for 20 years. He, went, he, he came from a wealthy, generous, prosperous house where kind of like the American church where we don't need anything. We can pay our way out of everything. We don't really need God's presence because people come in the sanctuary and they get goosebumps by the music and by the bass and the fog machines. We don't really need God's presence because we can fabricate it by our own strength. And we live in a nation of Abinadabs and God is coming to judge the Uzzahs who have been birthed out of the Abinadabs and try to renew and try to keep this thing going by our own strength. But the glory will not go from Abinadab to Jerusalem until someone's strength is broken, until there is a breach in our strength, until God breaks us down enough to where we say, this is the best place to be in life. Holy Spirit, I need you. 
Holy Spirit, I can't do anything without you. Without your presence, I am lost and alone. Without your glory, I have no strength. Without your presence, I have no peace. I have no joy. There's nothing that I could muster up to make this thing happen. It may work for the world, but it's not going to work for you. <clears throat> Amos 9, 11 says, In that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David that is falling, and I will close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it, build it as in the days of old. God is raising up his tabernacle again. And it's going to look like Jews. It's going to look like Gentiles. But God is raising up a house for him, houses of worship, people that have been broken, people that have been pressed, where their strength has been broken, and they're completely dependent, completely surrendered to the will of God's presence and God's glory. That is when true worship breaks out. When every other motivation dies... When every other thing that gives us strength dies. Listen, it's not only trying to hold the ark up as if trying to assist God, which is God is, is obviously removing that. We're not only trying to assist God, but sometimes we seek other things for strength. Sometimes we seek an encouraging word for strength. We seek people to come and edify us for our strength. We seek others instead of the Lord for our strength. We seek things. We seek money. We seek the house and the cars. We seek the marriage, that spouse. We've been single for all this time. And where is my husband? Where is my wife? And God is removing the things that will give us strength if we seek anything outside of his presence. God must be all in all. I said he must be all in all. The word says he will not share his glory with another. That doesn't mean he keeps all the glory. That means we're not another. But if we allow mixture in, if we allow the unholiness in, if we allow things of the world in, he will not share his glory with that. He's looking for a people that become his tabernacle and his dwelling place in the earth, a people that have been assembled this Melchizedek priesthood that has been assembled as the body of Christ, that he is going to fill with his glory, that he's going to fill with his power. Come on, that he's going to fill with his dominion, but it's going to be a people that have lost their strength. So we hear this new cart, or we see this when it says they put it on a new cart. I want to give some context for this. <clears throat> Obviously, we can say that this is all of our new programs and, we, and all these new things that we try to do to steward God's presence, and all that is true. But if you read 1 Samuel 6, the Philistines, just write it down, don't turn there. The Philistines in 1 Samuel 6, after, they plagued, after being plagued by God for taking the ark, how they brought it back to God was on a new cart. That's the first time we see this being done, and it was pulled by cows or by oxen, speaking of toiling, working it. And so it was the Philistines, not, not the Israelites, the Philistines were the first ones to pull it on the new cart. And so the Lord says, what will work for others will not work for you. The ark was to be carried on the shoulder of a priesthood. And so Israel 
saw the Philistines carrying it on a new cart, and they said, that looks convenient. We'll do that. And people compare themselves with others in the church, others in the world, and God does not deal with you the same way he will deal with them. Your calling is different. Your journey is different. Your pressing is different. You, God's, God, the way God has anointed you is different. God has anointed and called each and every one for a specific task. Listen, the Levites, I know we've heard a lot about the Levites, but not every Levite was a priest, if you read about it. Every priest was a Levite, but not every Levite was a priest. So every Levite had a specific task. There were Levites who were of the tribe of Levi, and all their task was to be a gatekeeper. All their work was in the temple of God was to be one that bear the ark. There were specific Levite priests that all they did was bear the ark. There were specific Levites that all they did was blow a trumpet or, or play a tambourine. All they did was play instruments and worship God. And so God has a specific calling for your life and your family. And as soon as we try to bear God's glory like someone else has bore it, as soon as we try to push it on a cart and we try to mimic someone else's walk and someone else's fire and someone else's drive and the way someone else did it because they, the presence of God was there. So let's do it just like them. We are acting just like the Israelites here and putting God on a cart and it is not proper order. So the ark was to be carried. Someone say carried to be bore, to bear the ark on the shoulders of the priest. First Chronicles 15, 2 says, David said, no one may carry the ark of God, but the Levites, for the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of God and to minister before him forever. Does anyone want to minister to God and carry his presence forever? So the word drove, when it says they drove a new cart, it means to drive forth. It means to sigh as in a panting. It means to guide a working. It, it means the panting induced by effort. And so we see that in Uzzah, which means strength, that we can't do this thing by our effort. We can't do this thing by our strength. We can't drive it by our abilities, but God's presence is to be carried and the word carry means to lift up. Are you guys with me? It means to advance. So it's not just carry as like you're carrying a jug of milk. It's to bear. It's to advance. It's to arise, to desire, to exalt. Are you guys seeing this? It means to extol, to hold up, to honor, magnify. It means regard and respect. So God's presence and his glory is not meant to be pushed by toiling, by our efforts and what we can do in our own strength and what we can accomplish, but it requires a bearing. It requires a caring. It requires this heaviness on your life. God's glory is heavy. And so we approach God's glory and his presence haphazardly, but I would venture to say that that box back in the day was a very heavy box. Acacia wood, which is what the ark was made out of, was symbolizing Jesus's incorruptible humanity because the wood was incorruptible. It could stand or water for generations and it would never rot. 
that acacia wood was incorruptible, which means it was extremely, extremely dense and heavy. And then you overlay that with gold and you have a very heavy Ark of, Co- Ark of the Covenant carried on the, the shoulders of the priests. These priests had to be strong. These priests had to be able to carry it. These priests had to be able to carry and bear the weight and bury the burden, bury the burden. Someone say, bear the burden of the presence, bear the burden of the calling, bear the burden of the people. So we are not called to drive God's presence, but to bear God's presence. First Corinthians 4 says, carrying about the dying of our Lord Jesus all the time that his life may be revealed in us. Paul said, I bear the marks. I bear the scars of the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so in 1 Chronicles 15, just write it down, verse 12 to 15, there was a way in which before they could even... So this story is kind of mirrored in 1 Chronicles, so read it on your own time. But in chapter 15, before they could even bear it, The Lord says to them, you are the heads of the father's houses of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves. So we have to sanctify ourselves that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel to the place I have prepared for it. For because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring the ark of the Lord God of Israel and the children of the Levites, someone say bore. They bore the ark of God on their shoulders by its poles as Moses had commanded to the word, or according to the word of the Lord. So this is Moses telling them this. And poles means yoke. So we carry Jesus's yoke. We carry his burden. Amen? And so let's, let's keep reading. I'm almost done. If I can get the worship team up here. <clears throat> So they brought, are you guys with me in verse four? Oh, we already read that. Let's start in verse nine. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, but took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Someone say the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom. Okay. I'm going to break down Obed-Edom, and then we're going, to, we're going to worship. So what I love is that he, this Obed-Edom was a Levite, but he was also lived in the land of Gath, which made him a Gittite. And the word Gittite means a, a wine press. The word Gittite means pressing. It speaks of someone that has been pressed. It speaks of the anointing that has been produced by a pressing. And the word Obed is to serve. It means a bondservant, a laborer, or a worshiper. So God took the ark from this Abinadab, comfortable, prosperous, 
father of generosity and prosperity. They've had the glory for so long, they're getting used to it. They've had the presence for so long that Uzzah became so familiar with it that he thought that he could help God and he could touch the ark. Not being a Levite, he could touch the ark and stop it and God struck him there. Then God finds this willing man called Obed-Edom on the way and David said he turned aside to Obed-Edom's house. And that's why I love what Pastor William said during, during worship, that God is breaking out. God is breaking our strength. God is breaking the strength of the American church. God is putting a breach. It said God broke out on Israel. God broke out on Uzzah. God put a breach on Uzzah, and he found this man called Obed-Edom. And he wasn't just a random man. The king of Israel knew who he was. The king of Israel, David, wouldn't have put the ark in some random person's house. But he knew of this man, this faithful man called Obed-Edom. That means servant. So God is not after our strength. God is after how we serve. God is not after how we can help him. God is after how we are pressed. God is not after what we can do by our charisma and our giftings and our promotions and looking to build ministries. God is after servants that have been pressed, that are available for God to use them, that are available for a place for God's presence and glory to dwell. A people that steward the presence of God correctly. I heard someone say that we're all chosen and I completely disagree. I'll tell you why. Matthew 22, it says, many are called. We're all called. Someone say, but few. But few are chosen. The context of Matthew 22 is a wedding feast, and he calls everybody. He invited everybody. And so I do believe that being chosen, even though we do see it in Scripture, God divinely choosing those, I do believe that. I also believe that being chosen is not just a selection because God likes you, but it says, for those that respond to the wedding invitation, those are the ones that are chosen. Many are called, but who's going to respond? Who's going to be the Obed-Edoms when there is transition happening and my presence is transitioning. Like in this house, God is transitioning. We are transitioning. We are moving. We are doing things that God is directing us to do. But who is going to be the chosen ones? The Obed-Edom. And that aren't chosen to say that we are better or, you know, we've done anything. We are better than anybody else. But chosen because we are simply available. You are chosen because you are available. Your availability to host God's presence is what makes you chosen. So many are called, but few are chosen. Who's going to respond to this call? Who is going to be an Obed-Edom in this season that will bear God's glory right after it just killed a man, right after it just terrified an entire uh, 30,000 men, terrified even the king, this warrior who was used to death. David was a warrior, didn't have a problem killing people, didn't have a problem seeing death, but this man that was struck down by God's presence terrified even King David, and there was one called Obed-Edom who was a servant, who had been pressed, who had been crushed, who have the anointing of God has 
oozed out of their life by the things that they've had to walk through, the things that they've pressed. And we have an American church that worships God with motivations. We have an American church that worships God with familiarity. We have an American church. It breaks my heart because they don't know the proper order. God is after open Edoms. He's not after Uzzahs. We have sanctuaries and pews filled with Uzzahs of people that they can do things in their own strength. And because God has been gracious and he's filled and he's filled houses with his presence and he's anointed men and women and God loves his people and he loves his sheep and he wants his sheep fed. God is gracious, but it's made the Levites familiar. He's removing the familiarity out of the church and he's making people servants again. I'm here to tell you whatever position you have, it may be removed so God can test and see who is a servant and who is willing to be pressed. Who is willing to fight for my presence? Who is willing to preach truth when no one else will? Who is willing to stand up and say, you're out of order. Let me show you the order of God. Who's willing to carry and to host God's presence in a time of confusion, in a time of transition? Who is willing? Who's available to be the chosen? Not because God likes you better, but because you said, here I am, Lord. Do with me what you will, Jesus. Remove everything, God. But let this house be a house of Obed-Edom's. As long as we have your presence, Jesus, as long as we have your glory, this is all we need. It's not by our strength. It's not by our power, but it's by your spirit. Break our strength again. Break our will again. Break our motivations again. The glory is going from the entitled Uzas to the servants, Obed-Edom's. And Edom, it just means, as a, as a land, it means Esau. It means red in the face, ruddy. Wherever Obed was, he served. It just means servant of Edom. Edom wasn't, Esau was actually the rejected one. It wasn't some amazing place. It wasn't servant of Jerusalem. It was servant of Edom. And he was a Gittite, someone that had been pressed, someone that was living in Philistine land but had his eye on Jesus, but had his eye on the prize, on the glory. And when he was called upon, he responded and said, I will steward this. One more point about Obed-Edom. What I love about this man is he didn't get some crazy position. He didn't get some promotion. He didn't get some salary and some name tag. He didn't get some pastoral promotion and and he was sitting right there with David because if it wasn't for Obed-Edom, the glory would have never gone back to Jerusalem. And so we see the magnitude of this place of standing with God in between. This in-between place, Ezekiel 22, of standing in the gap. We see the importance of this place. Isaiah 58, repairers of the breach those that are connecting God and man, those that are connecting God's presence and Jerusalem, these Obed-Edoms. And so Obed-Edom could have been, I deserve, could have said, I deserve this position. But if you read First and Second Corinthians, you'll read that he was actually a gatekeeper. Someone say gatekeeper. 
that he was a gatekeeper. So someone that hosted God's presence for three months and was the connecting conduit between the house of Abinadab, the house of wealth and familiarity, the house of laziness, the house of entitlement. And he stood between that and Jerusalem, this one that bore the ark of God, this one that took on the ark of God and stewarded God's presence, he says, as long as I can be a gatekeeper. And for the rest of his life and his children's life, they were abundantly blessed, but they were porters. Psalms 84.10 says, I would rather be a doorkeeper. Come on, stand to your feet. In the house of my God. Then dwell in the tents of wickedness. John 10, 2 and 3 says, But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And to him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Jesus is calling his doorkeepers this morning. I said, Jesus is calling his doorkeepers this morning. Ezekiel 22, so I sought a man to stand in the gap. So as we approach this time of transition, as we are moving in a house of transition, God is not worried about who's gonna move on to the next thing, even though some will be sent apostolically and we're gonna pray for them today. But God is not worried about who's gonna change the channel, who's gonna move on to the next thing, who's gonna try and and jump on the most exciting thing, but God is after his Obed-Edoms, the ones that aren't seen, the ones that have prepared a house for the Lord, the ones that steward God's presence faithfully, the one that steward God's glory faithfully, the ones that distinguish the difference between the holy and the unholy, and we don't, we're not entitled that because we've walked with God for so long. Listen, I'm talking to the older generation, and please, I say this with all humility. <clears throat> God is not interested in how many years we've walked with God, but God is interested in our availability to hear his voice continually. And the progressive word of God, that God would increase in our life and God would continue to move us from glory to glory. Like Matthew 22, who is the chosen? They are those that are available for God. Say, use me, God. Change me, Lord. Whatever you need to do, God, in my life, break me. If I'm an Uzzah, break me. There are Uzzahs in this room that have tried, you've tried to do it yourself because you're gifted, because you're anointed and because you're capable and people see that around you, but you still try to do it yourself. God is breaking the Uzzahs in this room and he asked today, can you be an Obed-Edom? Can you be an Obed-Edom and steward my presence when you don't hear the voice of God, when you don't know what's going on, when you may be confused, everybody's moving, all my friends are moving, uh, my pastor's moving, I don't know what I'm doing, I don't know what's going on in my family, we may be battling sicknesses, we may be battling financial issues, but I can do one thing, there's one thing that I could be faithful in, I could steward God's presence, I could steward his glory, and I could bear on my shoulders the glory of God, I refuse to push it on a cart like religion does and the world does. I refuse to look like anybody else, but I'm gonna bear. If, it, if I have to be pressed, if I have to be crushed, if I have to be pressed for God to shape me and mold me into the priest that he's called me to be, then let it be Lord, but make me an Obed-Edom. Because I'm telling you, through this man and this woman and those that are, we are being sent, God's glory is going to Jerusalem. 
I said, God's glory is going to Jerusalem. Just like David went to Abinadab's house, someone who had it all and was comfortable, God gave us a David who came to Keller, Texas, where everything's comfortable, including me. And God sent this man and this woman, this David, to a place that's wealthy and comfortable. And he's moving the glory again. I said he's moving the glory again. Not that the glory will leave this place, but we go with him. We are one house, one body, one mind, in one accord. The glory is going to Jerusalem. I said the glory is going to Jerusalem again. It's going to where it rightfully belongs, but it doesn't reach Jerusalem without Obed-Edom. So God needs Obed-Edoms in this house that are faithful. Like God said to Joshua, be strong and very courageous, not to defeat the ites, but to do what I've commanded you to do. And we try to move on to the next thing and we think it's harder and we think we're doing something because we're changing. But the hardest thing in ministry is not changing the channel. The hardest thing in ministry is like these ones, Pastor Mark and Pastor Janine and my parents that have not changed the channel for 40 years. The hardest thing in ministry is not moving on to the next thing, but being faithful in what has God has called you to be faithful in. God is calling Obed-Edoms. Thank you again for joining us for this podcast. We pray that above all, your life was touched by his presence. If you're interested in learning more about the church or getting plugged in, you can visit us at www.risennation.org or follow us on social media to stay up to date with all that God is doing here. We love you guys. God bless.